Good morning. Song of Songs, chapter 5. Song of Solomon. I have come into my garden, my, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey, and I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, and drink. Today drink abundantly, O oh beloved. I sleep, but my heart wakes. It is the voice of my beloved that is knocking, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. My head has been filled with the dew and my locks with the drops of the night. I put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I've washed my feet, how shall I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door and my, my heart was moved for him. I rose up to my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers were sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself. And he was gone, and my soul failed when he spake. And I sought him, but I could not find him. And I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went around the city, they found me and they smote me. They wounded me, the keepers of the walls. They took my veil from me. I charge you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I'm sick with love. What is the beloved more than another, beloved? O oh, ye fairest among women, what is the beloved more than another beloved that you're charging us? Listen to what she says. Listen to what the soul says about Jesus. You know, sometimes in the context of feeling like you've been left alone, can draw the soul into the deepest revelation of who this man is. My beloved is radiant. My beloved is ruddy. He is the he's the best of all the best of all that there is. He's he's the best uh, looking that there is. He is the chief among 10,000. And then she goes on and she gives 10 aspects of who Jesus is. This is a series we're going to be in for the next uh, 20, well, started last week, but for the next 19 weeks. This beauty of the man uh, Jesus and who he is. And she says about him, his head is like the most fine gold. His hair is, is uh, bushy, as black as a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the rivers of water. He's washed with milk, and they're fitly set 
His cheeks are a bed of spices and sweet flowers. His lips like the lilies dropping sweet smelling myrrh. His hands, there is gold rings set with the barrel. The belly is bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent among the cedars. He has the most sweetest words that flow out of his mouth. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, if you see him, tell me where he is. Because my soul longs for the living God. Because I want you more than I want this life. I want you, Lord. You're everything to me. And I long for you. Today, Today, let your soul be drawn up into him, that he is everything, the man Jesus Christ, everything. We give you honor, Lord, and we give you praise and glory this morning. May you be lifted up, and may you be honored, and may you be praised. Would you stand together as we worship the Lord? Worship the Lord with me. All ye saints, worship the Lord.
Psalms 4.1 When I call out, answer me. O God who brings vindication. And though I'm hemmed in on every side, I know that you will lead me into a wide open place. Have mercy on me, Lord, and respond to my prayer. You men, how long will you try to turn my honor into shame? How long will you love what is worthless and search for what is deceptive? Realize this. Realize this, that the Lord shows the godly special favor. When I cry out to him, when I'm hemmed in on every side, and when I cry out to the Lord, when I cry out to him, when I feel like I've been brought to the end of myself, and there's nothing else I can do, and I'm backed up, and I know that when I cry out to you, Lord, that you will respond to me. You always come through. Come on. Every time I feel backed into a corner, I know, I know, I know, I know that you will respond. My soul says I know. And I'm not going to resist being backed into a corner anymore. I'm going to run to zero. I'm going to run to the place of vacancy because I know every time, every time, every time, every time, every time, you'll meet me there because I'm greatly favored. I'm the Lord's, I'm the Lord's, and he loves me. He loves us, church. He loves us. Respond to me. Surely as the dawn, he will respond. Surely as the dawn of the coming of the rain. And surely as the dawn, he will respond. Surely as the dawn for the coming of rain. He will respond. Surely the dawn. He's a man of his word. He's word himself. He will respond. Come like you promised. Oh, come like you promised. Oh, we long for you. We long for you. We Come on. 
Listen to this, Philippians 2. Jesus models for us this path that we are on right now, even in this worship set. Therefore, if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship, if there be any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, Complete my joy and be of the same mind. Have this same love together being united in the spirit and have one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each one of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interest of others as well. And you should have this same attitude toward one another that Jesus Christ had. Listen to the philosophy, the mindset of our Lord, who though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to grasp at. But he went for a kenosis. What does it mean? He went for zero. He went for self-emptying. If Jesus, our King, went for this methodology of life and didn't let comfort and pleasure be his methodology, but he said, my methodology is to empty myself. If the God who created the world said, I will go, I will empty myself. This is the condition. This is the condition today. He took on the form of a slave by looking like other men and by sharing in the human nature. He humbled himself and he came obedient to the point of death. All worship flows from the death love. It flows from this place, the beauty of the cross. And on the other side of that cross is resurrection life and power. Resurrection life and ascended life. I embrace the zero. You see it. I embrace the self-emptying that the cross leads me to. I'm not backing away. I'm going in. Even to the point of death, if it must be. Right. 
This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I were made to live like this. And as a result, God exalted him and gave him a name, the name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. I confess that you're the Lord. I confess that you're God. I confess your sovereignty, Lord. I confess your right to govern my life. I confess that I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased for liberty. I've been purchased for freedom. For freedom you came to liberate the captive. For liberty and for freedom you come to set us free. For who has the Lord is free indeed. I'm free. My iniquity has been pardoned. My iniquity has been exonerated. I'm free. I'm free. Jesus, say it. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free indeed. Give you praise, Lord. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shout for joy, you saints. We're liberty. Bless the name of the Lord, oh my soul. And all that's within me. Bless the holy name. There is no shame, there is no blame, there are no chains. You are free. You are free, you are free. I am free. I have obtained, I have obtained. Put my faith and my belief in the King of all fire. There is no chains left. There is no shame. There is no blame. Oh, there's only you and what you pay. Oh, enter in through the cross. Enter in cross. Oh, don't try to grasp anymore. Don't try to grasp. That's not the cross. Oh, come in by giving. Come in by losing. Come in by, come in by his word. Come in 
by his word, not of your own, not of your own, not of your own. He is calling, he is calling, he is calling. Come in, come in, come in to me. Come in, come in, come in to me. It's by the cross, it's by the cross, the cross inside your heart. It's by the cross, it's by the cross, it's by the cross, it's by the giving of yourself. It's by the emptying of yourself. Because there is no shame, there is no blame. There are no chains unless you want them. Oh, I have set you free. Is the gospel true? Is the gospel true? Is what he paid for reality? Is the gospel true? Is the gospel true? Is what he paid for reality? Reality. Oh, I lift my hands and my heart and my voice and my tongue and my mind. Oh, my heart, my mind, my strength. Oh, in worship to you. Praise to you, you've done everything, you've done everything. Oh, there's nothing left for me except to love and praise you. Oh, come and inhabit me, come and inhabit me. sweet fire oh sweet rain oh immerse sweet rain I don't need any more ethical moralism I don't need any more five points to make me right. Jesus, you're my righteousness. I don't need any more character reformation. Jesus, you're my reformation. Jesus, you're my restoration. Jesus, you're my ethic. say that the just shall live by faith and we will not draw back we will not draw back out of that perennial rest you're my rest Jesus you're my hope Jesus you're my longing Jesus you paid it all covered every debt. You've covered my transformation. And though I've sat in darkness, 
when my enemy has come against me. I will rise. I will rise. I will rise. Up into the heavens where you're at. Seated in heavenly places in Christ now. A one new man, a new creature. I'm the new creation. Welcome to a new creature. Welcome to the one who says, I make all things new. Come unto me. Ye that are burdened down, and I will give you rest, says the Lord. My yoke, yoked up with the Lord. It's easy and my burden is light. Radiation of light. Radiate light. The light shine forth. The dawn is upon us and the morning star rising in our hearts. Rise, rise, church. Rise up into the heavens where you're made for. Climb up into the heights with the Lord. more than 
take a deep breath. Just like Jesus said to his disciples, we breathe on them. Take a deep breath. Just breathe in the Holy Ghost. okay. It's not a sigh. It's a confidence, a hope. You got it. You got everything, Lord. You got me. He has you. was made for love.
salvation of the world, the salvation of the soul. Behold him, behold him. Behold him, behold This King of Kings, light of the world, light of the world.
So I keep, I keep seeing the picture of Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And I, I keep having this sense that um, there's a, there, there needs to be a, a renouncing of Baal. I'm not exactly sure everything that's entitled, not everything it means, but I keep seeing it. So, Lord, I renounce any part of my soul still worshiping Baal, still giving myself and cutting myself and bringing myself pain for Baal. Lord, I repent and I renounce. I renounce Baal. Lord, and I confess loyalty to you. To the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. To the God who brought the children of Israel out of the desert. To the God who brought the children of Israel into the desert. Lord, I renounce Baal. I'm going to cover back on Stephen on this. What Stephen is saying and what was happening in that day, just as much as it is happening in our day, the nation had placed their hope, and many of the prophets had placed their hope in a red-based system. That is somehow we get our ethical moralism's right that it'll repair the nation that if I go red my hopes in the red do you understand what I mean that the Republican nation Republicanism is not going to save this nation ladies and gentlemen and neither is the blue is there legitimacy and righteousness in the red Yes. Is there legitimacy and discovery of who we are in the blue? Yes. But when you combine those two colors, you get you get royal. And so much of the Christian church today has been leaning on a red-based bell system. And we see what Jezebel's doing. But we don't know how much we need to repent of what Bell has done. Listen, don't align yourself with that. You align yourself with namely one sovereign king. The name above every name. You see the difference? It's saying that I'm not sort of having a fallback plan on the red. But somehow that they're going to bail us out. It will not happen. That's why we had a crown reaper come into our nation and in the nations of the world. There was a crown reaper crown virus. Why? It's to expose the human heart. The duplicity of the human heart. It's aligning itself with a blue or red. Why? Because the crown is coming. And the one who wears the crown of many crowns and he will have loyalty. Because loyalty is royalty. It's a consummate piety. It's not just your devotions in the morning. It's a complete handing over of oneself to the rightful sovereign God. 
There is no fallback plan. You might as well go ahead and realize it and don't align yourself with it. There is one sovereign. And in this nation and in the nations of the world, they have not been used to this. But listen, they, they will cry out for a king. The, the nations will cry out for a king. Because man was made like that. And there is only one. When David said one thing about a desire, that I would enter into Shabbat, that I would enter into the very rest of God and I would dwell, I would dwell in Shabbat, I, Shabbat in God seven days a week, that I would find my rest in Him, that I wouldn't align and array myself with that tree of knowledge of good and evil anymore, but I would eat and I would partake of the tree of life and all my days I would gaze on His beauty and I would make inquiry in his temple. You were made for him. When Stephen's saying that the fire came down, it came down because one man, Elijah said, enough of Baal. Enough of that system. And enough of all the purveyors of that system. Listen, you, you've got to understand this. We have got to Anything that's on the consciousness that is prophesying a blue or red based system is prophesying to you lies. It's either bell worship or Jezebel worship. No, Carol. Eat from the tree of life. Eat from the place of true royalty in the Lord. We see how Jezebel's wrecking everything. We see that. Get out of an alignment with Bell, Church of the Living God. More ethics, more moralisms, more get this right and get that right. Jesus Christ has already paid for everything. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Is that 2 Corinthians 5:16? I am righteous because he is faithful. Do you see the difference? No more blame, no more shame, and no more guilt. All the red system will do is heap on shame. It just puts more shame on you. It wants to run through materialism and consumerism. Do you see the problem? We know something's wrong, but are we going to turn into who is right? the righteousness of the man Jesus. It's a pipe dream, ladies and gentlemen. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is a pipe dream. Come into the dream of God for you. Come into the predestination of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for you and come into freedom, true freedom and lasting freedom. A root is rising out of the stump of Jesse. A sprout is sprouting forth. 
You know what it's called? A Davidic dynasty. Oh, you were made for royalty. You're the royal sons and daughters. Why should we buy off on something that is so much less and inferior to who he is in us? You see? It's very political. It's the ultimate political. It's where church and state become one. It's where king and priest become one. It's where Jew and Gentile become one. It's where bond and free become one. It's where male and female become one in Christ. Middle wall of partition come down. You see it? You see the wisdom of God in the ages? You're about to see the biggest show on earth you've ever seen. The royal family's about to stand up. They're going to come out of their caves. They're going to come out of their cathedrals. They're going to come out of their castles. He's drawing us out. order is not going to do anymore. It's a Melchizedek order that our Lord belongs to. He doesn't belong to the order of Aaron. That's why many are being drawn out of that system. He's a king priest. Pledge my allegiance to the Lamb of God. And I pledge my allegiance to the Lion of Judah. He's both a lamb and a lion. You want authority in this nation? You want to see this nation turn to the Lord? Pledge allegiance to the Lamb who is the Lion. You want to see something happen in our culture? Give him your full allegiance and burn with fire. You want to see the city halls upended? You want to see fire in the street? You want to see it? You're tired of what you see in this nation and the nations of the world? Pledge allegiance to the one who's pardoned all our iniquities. want to see a nation taken? Do you want to see a nation wake up instead of be woke? Pledge allegiance to the Lamb who is the Lion of Judah. You, you think it's hard to believe that you're royal? Believe it. Go ahead and act like it. 
You are the inheritance of the Father. This is why we worship, we worship, we worship. Because he's worthy. And I say great is your faithfulness. You tired of shrinking back? Because your testimony seems compromised? to the Lord you don't want a testimony in Matthew 7 I don't know you depart from me you workers of iniquity pledge pledge everything you have pledge your whole self pledge all your possessions and your houses and your lands listen he already owns everything and he owns you too because he's a real king the king's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle a glorious church I repent of all self-righteousness older brother self bell-based system in myself I, I repent of trying to get in righteousness according to what I can do and who uh, pulling myself up by the bootstraps and that I'm going to be somebody because I'm finally going to arrive. And I repent, Lord, of, of uh, looking down on others and seeing myself in a better position than them and not considering them better than myself. I repent, Lord. I repent of being asleep and being self-consumed with my own self and my own affairs. I repent of all of that thing that makes me feel weak and all of that stuff on the left. I repent of all the things on the right. Because I want you. I'm thankful for a crown reaper. declare your faithfulness this morning by the sound of my voice under this pavilion I pray that you will rock the airways Lord and it will be heard throughout the land that you're faithful that you're sovereign God that you're holy and there's none like you none I say none like you
Amen. Good morning. <laughs> Again, you've heard me say this before, that if, if uh, Paul said, if I lose my mind, it's for God, but if I find it, it's for you. <laughs> I love that. I was like, oh, I know what he means. I know what he means. When you're so caught up into the Lord, you like lose your mind. If you find it, it's, he was saying, you know, if I can find it, it's for you. Welcome this morning. I, I actually was pretty happy because yesterday I had probably a two or two hour plus encounter with the Lord and he actually gave me material for my sermon today, which I normally do not get until I'm into worship. And so, so I actually got some notes and I was like really surprised because I was like, man, you back into a corner on sermons and things like that. And then out today, you're going to move it out one day. So I have something to, to say, which fine with me, whatever way he wants to do it. I wanted to get started this morning. I with this, I hereby certify that all answers to the above questions and all statements contained herein are true. And I understand that any misstatements of material facts contained in this petition may it bring adverse action on my petition for pardon. In addition to subjecting me to any and other penalties provided by the law, I am petitioning, I am making a petition before the Sovereign Lord today for pardon. I do solemnly swear that I will be a law-abiding citizen. I will support and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ to all my friends and my enemies, foreign and domestic. And I take this obligation freely because it has not become an obligation to me, but it has become my own freedom. And without any mental reservation whatsoever, because of the Lord, respectfully submitted, today. A few weeks ago, I, I had mentioned it, my favorite, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible is Job. I don't see a lot. Okay, I got another hand. You don't have to raise your hand. It's one of my favorite books, and I think people say, how can that be? And please don't speak on Job today. What are you doing, setting us up for Boils, <laughs> Tom and I was talking about on the way in this morning. You know how it says in Proverbs 8, I love this, and it says, and I was daily his delight, and I was beside him, and then I'm, I'm not sure how the Hebrew got this mixed up, I was beside him as a, as a nursing or a nursing child, but then the Hebrew also calls that a master craftsman. Does that seem like a contradiction? I mean, have you ever seen a baby building a building? Or doing fine carpentry on cabinets? I haven't. Have you ever seen an 85-year-old man crawling around sucking his thumb? I mean, you get what I'm saying? 
He says, he says, I was beside him daily, his delight. Speaking of wisdom, and I was both child and master craftsman. I'm wearing the kid's shoes of the day, and yet mastered certain fields that I've been assigned to. Do you see? And I was daily his delight. For years when I was growing up, my dad would say to me, once a man, twice a child. And I don't think I got it till recently. Uh, the Lord, he says, you hear what your daddy's been saying to you your whole life? Once a man, twice a child. And recently the Holy Spirit wakes me up one morning. He says to me, it is the father's predilection that is your double predestination. And the Lord said, do you hear your daddy's words? Once a man, twice a child. Predilection, and I, I've mentioned this before, but it means to be chosen out in advance. I was predilected or chosen for maturity in advance that I would be and look like him as a man or a woman. I was, I was chosen out in advance. The Father's predilection is that you would know that. One of the most important things that could ever happen to your human soul is that you know as far as from the east is from the west, outside of space-time, that he chose you before you entered into the body that you're actually in now. Don't believe me. John 13, Jesus says, while he goes to wash his disciples' feet, that he knew that he came from God, and that he was going back to God. What? He was elected and predestined. We in the church, we the church today, need this stabilization in the human soul more than ever, maybe in the history of man. We need deeply, and this is what's happening in this worship set this morning, we need deeply to know I was elected and chosen out in advance by the Father outside of time and space. Because in that predilection, and without that predilection, and without a deep knowing of that, and I know when I when I say no, I mean a profound intimacy with him. In the very everyday life, in the rub of life and reality as it exists. In the earth today and what you're going through, without that predilection, without that knowing, you will not know what God has determined, predestined. You need a deep abiding sense that he is ever present in your time of need. But you need it, and I need it in a way that is far as and beyond time. Because the way that you live your life as a believer is influenced by that sense of predilection. When you know that you're wanted, that you're desired, and that you're delighted in, it changes the way that you, the decisions that you make. When you know that, when you know that, if you've ever had someone that really likes you a lot. Anybody know what I mean? Anybody like in grade school had... A teacher that really liked you a lot. And when they liked you so much that when you were around them, they what did they do to you when they were when they were around you? What did they do? 
What did it make you feel like when they liked you or cared about you? When you knew that when they saw you, their eyes lit up. When they saw you, what did it make you feel? It gave you a sense of importance. And you're like, and I think some of you, if you were like me, for the, teacher that re- the teachers that really liked me, I said, oh, I don't want them to know who I really am. Anybody, did that go through anybody else's mind? If they knew who I really was, they wouldn't like me. Another thing is it draws on your person. It draws you because they believe they're capturing something in your heart and they're pulling on something to cause you to be something that you are not. Paul will talk about this. He'll say, calling those things which are not is what? There's a drawing on that teacher. It draws on you. And you look into their face and their eyes and it draws on your person. Or maybe you've had a parent that's done this for you or a spouse or someone. And when you're around them, you're believed in. In that way, and in, even in, that's a way to understand predilection, even the way of the Father is so much greater than that. When you gaze into his eyes, when you're looking at him, when, when he's looking at you and you know it, it draws on the human spirit and it draws you into him. And in that way, listen, in that way you're changed. Do you see the difference? The false gospel that Paul railed against is get 15 things right and you'll get approval. That is detriment to your soul. And if you've ever been in a relationship where someone says, if you get these five things right, I'll finally like you, you know how painful that is. It never makes you or invites you into wanting to change. If anything, most of us rebel against that. Do you know why? Because we don't feel delighted in and desired. The Father outside of space-time right now has elected you to himself because he loves and delights and desires you. And when you begin to turn your eyes in that gaze of predilection, I chose you in advance. Wait a minute. Remember Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, if it was based on ethical moralisms, Esau might have been a guy that we would like more than the mama's boy who lies and connives. I mean, we like the hunter-killer, especially in this nation. Well, somewhat in this nation, it's kind of split. The dude took down a deer. He, like, rode on the back of it, killed it with his bare hands. Leander, he says his bare hands. Anyways. He didn't know B-E-A-R versus (laughs) B-A-R-E. He's like, his bare hands, daddy, like, I mean, when a man jumps up on the back of a deer and cuts him and brings him home for dinner, we're like, that's a dude. That's a straight up dude. Chase the thing down myself. Or a cheetah. Or a panther, right? Esau was, in that way, an election would have been like the guy that maybe we would have said, that guy's pretty amazing. He's the dude. Well, no. The mama's boy. In the kitchen. That's the guy I elected. You know, he's whiny and stuff. Point is, whether it was Esau or Jacob, God decided. And God decided for you. Now, see, this is really important. 
Because your stature as a man or woman is related to that understanding. It, it really is. It's related to not just intellectual understanding, but a deep abiding knowing. Well, if you got your character right and you've got all these things right, now, should we have good character? Yes, but that character transformation is going to come out of this deep abiding knowing and being known. You see the difference, right? Is your double predestination. Well, a lot of guys have a different view on double predestination. I'm going to share with you what I think that the word meant by that that I think he's saying to me. I have determined something for your life. I want you to know what that is, and I want you to agree with me. In the Greek, it's called homo legeo. I want you to say the same thing back to me that I'm saying to you. What I'm revealing to you, I want you to agree with me because I know what's best for you. I know what your predestination is. I know what your destiny is. I know how to form and make you into who you are. I get it. Actually, I made you so I know how to do this better than you do. And then if I know what your one part of destination is and your predestination is, I also, in the other part of it, know what your freedom looks like. I want to determine for you. I need you to know that I've chosen you in advance and elected you for me. But I want to determine for you the course of your life. But here's the thing about God. God is not a tyrant. So God will never impose his will on you, not ever. Because then you would say, if he imposed his will on you, that he doesn't love you. And if you've ever had someone impose their will on you, you know that fundamentally it is unloving. If someone says, if you want, my, if you want something for me, you have to do this for me. You know that something is wrong with that. And if someone forces you to do something that you do not want to do, the imposition of will, you will push them away because it does not feel right and it is not right, the imposition of the will. And so there's one camp that claims their free will. And then there's another camp that claims God's sovereign right. I want to uh, fix this because it's, been, it's really been messed up, I believe, that by saying that, God, you have determined your will for my life. You've predestined me to your will. Is not somehow an escape clause for your life. It's built out of a, a response to a relationship with him. It's not dry. It's very vibrant. It's life-giving. It's a connection. Predestination is not some um, list of rules. and It's a relationship. So if I, again, back up, once a man, twice a child, that God the Father's predilection is my double predestination, what? If I know that he's chose me outside of space-time and I have a knowing and relationship with him, then I can begin to apprehend his destiny for me. And here's what the rub, this is where the rubber meets the road, and we're going to see this today in Job. The rubber that meets the road is always this. If I allow God to choose, 
It may or may not, this is what's in the mind of so many people, whether they admit it or not, it may put me in greater bondage. If I allow God to choose my life, I may, it may not come out the way that I want it to, and that it means that I'm going to be, in a greater sense, put into a place that is more difficult than what I was in before. And because of that, because of that, I'm not going to allow God to determine my life. And what I've found in this double predestination is there's a space between there where the shakedown happens. Well, let's look at the text today. The space between the shakedown. Job 1, 1b. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Have you considered my servant? I mean, hey, this will fill a church. Have you considered this guy? The guy who is... Have you considered my guy that I say he's blameless and upright? He fears me and he shuns evil. Have you considered that guy? I'm going to read a little bit out of a book that Mr. Richard Nolan let, let me borrow because it really just, it really struck me and, uh, by Mike Mason. And I believe it, it goes along with what, where we're headed this morning. Mason says this, not only the entire book of Job, but the whole gospel fact is this. Everything is summed up by this one word, blameless. For the central question in religion is, how can a human being get free from guilt? How can we escape that sense, however vague it is, of a gnawing insecurity that dogs are every step. Jesus will ask his disciples this question. What are you afraid of? We're afraid because we have this lingering suspicion that it is impossible to please God. All that we would know that God loves us. But how can we know for sure that he loves us? In the parable of the prodigal son, the father loved both the rebellious son and his straightened out, bell-based, red Republican older brother. In the end, it was the younger son that pleased him. The prodigal ended up delighting the father's heart. Of course, God does love us. Everybody knows that, but that is precisely the problem because we have in relating to God that he loves everybody indiscriminately, even the people he's going to send to hell. Well, who needs love like that? The real question is not whether God loves us then, but whether he approves of us and whether we're pleasing to him. One thing is certain. If we are not pleasing to God, he will never be pleasing to us. Um, 
Years ago, the Lord said, you know, if you have a problem with this person and it's irritating the living daylight side of you, do you know ultimately the problem you have with them is the problem you have with me? <laughs> They're made in my image and likeness. The issue that keeps on rubbing you is the issue you have with me. It ultimately goes back to me. And, you know, that really, like, gets right into the rub of everyday life, doesn't it? It's a misconception. It's a thought that you have about me. You have a misunderstanding because what you're going to find, if you'll come on, if you'll come on with me, you'll find me so pleasing because you'll experience all my pleasure. And when you find me pleasing and you'll find yourself pleasing to me, no one, no one, no one can take you out of that pleasure. Nothing can, no circumstance can, no. I mean, didn't Jesus model this for us on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. What kind of love is that? Somebody says something off to you, snap back in just five seconds. Try being killed on a cross and innocent. So if we find him pleasing, then we will, and we find him as our pleasure, then nothing can take us out of that. He will be pleasing to us. Why should we like someone who is forever condemning us? I mean, hey, I introduced this early. Nobody likes that. Does anybody in here like that? Do you like when you're with somebody that you always feel beat down by them and they don't like you? Does anybody like that? Or is it just me? I don't like it. No one likes condemnation. On the other hand, can we imagine what it would be like to so move and excite the heart of God that we would run, he would run to meet us, throw his arms around us, kiss us, dress us in his best robe, and put rings on our fingers? Can we picture, picture the Lord Almighty killing a fattened calf for you and throwing a big party in your honor. Can we imagine having a creator of the universe say to us, just as he said to Jesus Christ, you're my beloved son. I'm so pleased with you. In short, do we know what it means to be as Jesus was? And as Scripture claimed, Job also was beyond reproach in the eyes of God. Can we even imagine such a thing? For if we cannot, then surely, listen, all our faith is useless. Whew, this Mike Mason's not playing around. You mean to tell me that if I can't imagine that, if I can't live under that understanding, that my faith is in vain. If we cannot get past God's criticism and into his favor indeed, if we cannot be good friends with him, then what is the point of the Christian church today? There's no point. On the other hand, if Job really was a living example of blamelessness in his relationship with God, and such a thing must at least be possible. And we have better pay attention to this man and find out what his secret was. Mike goes on to say the secret begins with a solid grasp of the fact that being 
blameless is not quite the same in, as being guiltless. Objectively, they are, their conditions are identical, but they are attained through different routes. If someone is guiltless, it simply means that he has done nothing wrong. Anybody in here that can claim that? Jesus is the only one, right? It says, and he was without sin. The only one that can claim no guilt is the Lord. No one else can do it. I think, you know, uh, pause here for a minute, that one of the biggest issues, I believe, is surrounding the human heart in relationships and what's going on with us is that someone comes to, or some situation in your life comes to claim something more than your innocence. Something starts to say or somebody else begins to say, you know, you're guilty of that. And let, let's say that you are. Let's say that you are, in fact, guilty of that. And some people, they're guilty of things, and they will say, I didn't do it. So that, that's one level of guilt that people deal with. And some people, when they're approached about what they've done wrong, they'll say, in fact, that is true, and they'll give a proper repentance, and they'll repent of it. There's another, another level of guiltiness, though. It's when you've not done what the person claims that you have done. They're saying that I think that you have done this, and I find you guilty. And nothing that you say or do is going to change their mind. This is where I believe the rub really happens to a lot of us believers. And then we begin to say, I didn't do that. Why do you treat me that way? Anybody done that? You ever been accused falsely? And we're going to see this later on in, in Job. You're going to see this, that, and maybe, maybe we'll see it right now. What happens later on in Job, so we'll, we'll move into this, into this guilt. What happens later on in, in Job 34, now we're down the road. Job's going to be put under a lot of pressure. And y'all know his story. I mean, I believe 10 kids are, I think it was, are dead. Um... He's had three friends, basically, so-called friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar coming at him. They've been sitting, they sat with him for seven days, I believe it was in silence, and then they started to bring out their concepts and ideas about your suffering, Job, and they, they have three different perspectives. Job is going to say, these things can't be true about me. I, I prayed every day, I worshiped the Lord. I mean, he doesn't know that the Lord in heaven even called him righteous. Uh, there's a strong nature in all three of them in their theology. It's called retributive justice. Surely, Job, you've done something wrong to have God deal with you and chastise you in this way. Surely you have. And Job will keep saying, I haven't. You know, to be honest, before God, I don't even have a conscience that tells me that I've done something wrong. And as the pressure, pressure keeps on going down, down, down on him, eventually Job is going to say, I'm righteous. Their assaults and their attack and all the pressure is going to finally bring out this thing and he's going to claim his own righteousness and his own innocence. And then the Lord's going to deploy Elihu on him. 
And Elihu, the younger of them all, is going to have a correct understanding of God. He's going to speak to Job. And, you know, if y'all want to sit here for 25 hours, we can go through the whole book. But, you know, I'm jumping across so much material. That's so beautiful. They're going to hit him. And I, I learned this from the Lord. He taught me this. They're going to put like a triangle around him of the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly. There's three different perspectives out of Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar because the Lord's going to make him into something he could never be. God's not punishing Job, he's curing him. Because God doesn't punish his children. He chastens us. God's not punishing him, he's going to make him holy. And he's going to get down to the nitty-gritty with this guy. He's going to wait for this word to come out of his mouth. I've done nothing wrong. I'm a righteous man. And then the Lord's like, well, and Elihu's going to instruct him. So I'm jumping into Elihu. Elihu's already been speaking. The Lord jumps into this with me yesterday. Job chapter 34, verse 31. Has anyone said to God, Elihu speaking, I have borne chastisement. In some translations, it says, I am innocent. There's a kind of a spin on the language here. I'm not going to offend anymore. Job's saying, I've come under chastisement, apparently. Elihu recognizes it. Job's recognizes it. God's dealing with me, obviously, because I'm going through something that I wasn't going through. Something's going on in my life. Um, I'm having a hard time here. Anybody, anybody experience this in your obedience to the Lord? Not your disobedience, but your obedience. What is going on? Why am I in the middle of the rub? Why is this darkness coming around me? Job is willing to finally confess that maybe God's bringing chastening to me. Elihu's saying this here. God's bringing some chastening into my life. Job. And I've come to a point where, are you going to be able to say that you're innocent? I mean, truly, are you innocent? And then Job says something, or Elihu says something that's really interesting to me, and the Lord highlighted this to me. He says, I don't want to be an offense anymore. I don't want to be a relational offense. But I... I've been willing to get to this point. Now I want to go deeper, though. And he says, teach me what I do not see. You know, the nature of iniquity is, Tom and I was talking about it coming in this morning. You and I can't know what our iniquities are. I mean, someone else might say, that don't seem right in you or whatever. But you were born, and I was born shaping in iniquity. We were born in sin. Some things are staying with us have been with us our whole life, and we say, oh, that's just a part of my character. Anybody ever woke up aggravated in the morning, go around kicking stuff? And, you know, some people have a really rough morning, and they think that's okay. It's not, actually, but, you know. Some people, oh, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, you just got to get used to so-and-so. That's just the way they are. I mean, we could go through a million of those, right? Let's not. He'll drag us all down into our depravity. But could, could, could you really truthfully say, I'm innocent? What Job does is he says, 
Teach me what I do not see. Apparently, maybe the way I've lived my whole life, maybe there might be something, Lord, that's not right. I don't know what it is. And then he, he says, if I have done iniquity, like if I have done something wrong, I will do it no more. Has anyone ever said that to God? I don't want to be an offense. Like, I want to be an offense in the right way, but I don't want to be an offense in the wrong way. I don't want what's wrong here to make, make it bad for other people. And then he goes deeper into his humility. Will you have this humility to say, there's apparently something wrong possibly. Will you teach me what I do not see? Will you, I, will you lighten the eyes of my understanding? Unless I sweep the sleep of death. Are you willing to have this kind of humility, Job? Would you say that maybe I've, maybe I've done something wrong, I don't know what it is. If you've ever been accused falsely, usually the first thing that happens when someone accuses you falsely is you say, I didn't do that. But what if they're accusing you rightly? Now, it doesn't make it right to walk in accusation. I, I'm not agreeing with that. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, you know. But what is our response to be? It certainly wasn't to declare his own righteousness. you got to hear me on this because I'm going to take this and slam it in. He's, Elihu speaking, he says, will he then make repayment that will suit you? Oh, man, this is... Is God going to pardon you? Would that be suitable to you? Would that be okay with you? That you, ever, you ever had someone accuse you falsely? You go through these steps. You didn't maybe do it. You go through the steps, say, I don't want to be an offense. Then you go through the next step and you said, if there's something I need to see, I'm willing to be open about it. If there's something wrong with me, I'm willing to deal with it. And then the person still won't let you off the hook. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's still no repayment. They're, they still will not be satisfied. Is there any repayment that will suit you? That they would say something. This word here is in the Hebrew is the idea of to be requited of. To be set free from the blame and shame that you're experiencing by the accusation. This thing's getting into deeper layers. The willingness of the human heart, the humility that's actually in place there. As far as I know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a liability here, and I've not done something that you're saying that I have. Okay? But if my eyes need to be open to see something that I don't see, I'm willing to do that. Okay? Because I don't want something that's inside of me that I can't see to be causing this problem. Okay? And still, to go to that depth and still not be pardon you see the depths of guilt how it goes down through all these processes and it seems like to me that God was looking for something from Job that was so profound and so deep and, and so necessary especially in the life of him that's going to bring a double blessing onto his life and his, uh, 
is so deep and so important in our own lives as believers today. And then he says, and they, scholars don't know how to deal with this word because you reject it. Because I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that there is not one person on this planet, no matter how close they are, that can requit any of us from sin. The repayment or the requiting or releasing us out of that pain, no one can do that for you. There's only one. We don't realize as we're going around and trying to get, doing whatever we can, trying to get someone else to tell us, it's okay, I forgive you. And to get, don't get me wrong, uh, I believe that the Lord wants us to model this kind of forgiveness. I've, I believe he does want us to as believers I, because it, like Luke 7, 47, she who had been forgiven of much loves much. But first, this has to be a reality to our own human heart with God, our Father. What is it? Elihu will say this, you must choose this and not I. Therefore, declare what you know, Job. You know what's interesting that Job does, and Elihu's going to get him more. I'm like, man, God is not playing games with this guy. He said, you add transgression to your words. <laughs> Later on, you come to, you try to come to a place of resolving this, but you can't, you're, your soul will not just rest in the fact of his innocency, of his faithfulness. You see? Do you see? You're still trying to excuse yourself on your merit. You're still, Job, adding transgression to your words. You're excusing yourself. You're finding this little narrow path out. You're trying to find a, an escape clause. Just some way to weasel your way out, Job, of true, true metanoia. The word in the Greek for repentance means to gaze on, the, to gaze on Jesus. Job, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're justifying yourself with your own works. You want pardon? Listen, set Jesus as your objective truth. <laughs> this isn't to say that we're not guilty. This is to say ultimately that we are. And there's only one who can pardon. God may be looking for something out of us. I know he's dealing with me personally this way. Deep. I mean, deep, deep. I want to go deep. I don't want you to add any transgression to your words. You know, you know what I mean when you're under that kind of pressure and you have to get the other person back. You say something, you got to jab them. You got to spite. You got to say something back to them. You got to get them back because if you get them back, it'll somehow make you feel better. It never does. And the Lord will have us to be quiet. It'd have us to be quiet and not add transgression to our words. 
Do you see how deep this goes, deep, 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 down into the soul until all we see is Jesus? Because you know what he declares? That you're blameless. Y'all might think, and my kids say this sometimes, my dad's lost his mind. He's crazy. Man, he said that yesterday. He's like, he's up there speaking in tongues and going wild and acting all. You know why? I'll dance. I'll stand on my head. I don't care. You know why? Because of his faithfulness. It's caused, it's caused something crazy almost to happen inside when you know that someone loves you. That you're completely guilty and he exonerates you from all of it. Yeah, you're head over heels. You're crazy in love. Because you've been forgiven. And if you've ever had that pressure come on you and you've known your guilt, known your sin, and someone else has let you know it, and over and over it's assaulted your soul, and that you find out there's only one, and that he loves me, it will mess you up. And it's messed me up. Because I'm like, you know what, I'm going on the line for love. I don't want to add one more thing to love. I just want you, Lord. God's diving down, 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 down. He's going to give him a revelation of the cosmos. He's going to give him a revelation of the earth. Down, down, down into that human soul. And implanting his heart right in the middle of him. Heart of love. A heart of forgiveness. A heart where there is no more condemnation. A heart that burns hot. Mason says now, objectively, and you heard me say these, guilt and blamelessness conditions are identical, but the way they're attained are through different routes. Now hear me. Hear Mike what he says. If someone is guiltless, it simply means that he has done nothing wrong. If he is accused of wrong, then he is accused falsely, and that is all there is to it. But if someone is blameless, it means something far more mysterious. It means that no matter how horrible his offenses may have been, all the charges have been dropped. You see, do you see it? Do you see that that's our condition in Christ right now? That is your and my condition right now. Do you know how I know that? Because in Job 1, God calls him blameless. In Job 42, he says, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What? There was a space between the predestination. Do you see it? It wasn't that it wasn't material fact. God says he's blameless. Do you see? Job didn't believe it. I'll give you an example. It's happened to me this week. 
And Tom so aptly, when we were talking about this this morning, he, he said that, that happened to you, Carol, and he explained it, and I appreciate you, Tom, what you said. But last year, we had a uh, Leander, he was playing with his rock work on this fireplace, and one of the stones fell, and it hit his uh, pinky finger, and it fell on his p- pinky finger, and it tore the side of it off. And I wasn't with him. Carol was with him and, and her sister, and she took him to the emergency room. And Leander was crying, and she didn't know if he had broke the bone or, uh, you know, really damaged his finger beyond repair. And he was going to, you know, needed stitches and, and things like that. And so they, she goes to the emergency room. I get a phone call. I'm changing the brakes on my vehicle. And uh, <laughs> I ended up leaving the pad in the brake rotor. That's a loud racket. Uh, by the way, <laughs> but I was changing the brakes and stuff, and I'd run down to Park Ridge Hospital, and and as you know, if you go to the emergency room, they'll write you a bill, <laughs> and they they wrote me a bill for $1,600 for about an hour and a half visit, and you know, they need their compensation and things, and uh, our family, I don't, I don't carry insurance on the children, and so I called them, I said, I need to try to care for this bill and said, uh, Mr. Moffat, that'll be, we're going to move it to $828.19. And I said, okay. And to be honest, I didn't have the cash to care for the bill. Well, this last week I was calling them again and saying, you know, what can I do to make this right? Because I want to make this right. And uh, so uh, Leander Moffat, born October 30th, 2014, right? And he said, uh, Mr. Moffat, uh, you have a zero balance. Uh, back in April, we zeroed your balance. And um, I was like, no way. You know, because I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting to pay my bill and do what's right and, you know, cover it. I get off the phone and I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes $800 for us might be a couple of weeks worth of income. We don't ever know, honestly. But whatever, it's like, thank you, Lord. And then he takes me in this understanding of pardoning. And um, and Tom, he brings this out so aptly to me when I was telling him this this morning. He says, Carol, it was already covered. You just didn't know it yet. You see it? You're already blameless. You just need to know it. That's where the transaction is. That's where the rub is. It's already true. How does this apply, Carol? Oh, because I, you know, it can't be just intellectual. It has to be relational, right? Well, I love what he writes. Absolutely no blame attaches to him because the very one he offended has exonerated him. In the words of Psalms 32:2, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. In Romans 4, it'll say this: Blessed is the man whom God credits his account apart from works. Oh, let that, let that get into our American life of rugged individualism. 
Blessed is the man whom God credits his account apart from pulling his boots up by the bootstrap. God's covenant with us in Christ is not that he will prevent us from ever committing a sin, but rather that he forgives us of our sins. He will be faithful in his forgiveness. Our part is to believe this. That is, to be blameless, not so much in our outward conduct, even though we strive for that, but in our faith, our trust in the Lord's faithfulness. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified, Romans 10.10. Where is your justification? With the heart that believes that it is actually true. If we are blameless in this respect, then all the credit for our righteousness will verily plainly, listen, it's not ours, but it's the Lord's. So I take no credit. This is why we worship it's not the reason why we should worship, but we do worship. This is our righteousness and will barely, plainly be not ours, but the Lord's, as Jude assures us in his great doxology, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Verse 24. In Job, we read the remarkable story of an Old Testament believer who somehow intuitively grasped and accepted this astounding message so much that even when he was tempted to the very uttermost to let it go, he held firmly to it against all odds. Under attack, Job groaned. He wailed. He doubted. He fell into deep depression. He lashed out like an infuriated animal, and yes, he even sinned. Yet when it came to this one point regarding that the settled fact of the status of irreproachable blamelessness before the Lord, he refused to give an inch. Having placed his trust totally in God, he violently resisted the notion that there, listen, that there still might be some other step he should take, something else he must do to gain God's favor under adverse circumstances. You see what I mean? You can't add anything to zero. What if everything that you're going through, that you're facing, is the Lord's just drawing you down to this point like this. I'm not going to put a plus sign on zero. He's exonerated me. He's pardoned me. In that, in that is your double predestination, that you were predestined to freedom. Everything's trying to come at us, trying to say, move off that position. Do you see it? Do you see it? Move off the position. Go add something to it. If I did more, if I could. No! 
No, Job is violently resisting it. I'm not adding anything else to the fact that he loves me, that he, that he died for me, and that he set me free. Yeah, but your situation doesn't look free. I'm not changing my resolve. Your health right now doesn't look free. You know how the devil will come and accuse you? Other people have come to accuse us. It doesn't look free to me. I'm not changing my position. Jesus Christ has exonerated me. My debts are telling me a different story. My past is trying to tell me something different. Remember the day in the prayer meeting, the Lord said to me, so what? So what on your sacrifice and offering? And I said, what are you doing, Lord? He said, look at Hebrews 10. It wasn't sacrifice and offering that I wanted. I wanted a body. I want you. Lock, stock, and barrel. I don't want what you do for me. I don't want your sacrifice. Will you sacrifice? Yeah. Will you give offerings? Yeah. But that's not what I want. I want you. Jesus says, I've come to about the scroll that is written about me to do your will, oh God. Uh, let's stand together. God wants you. God wants you. He wants all of you. Lock, stock, and barrel, he wants you. He desires you and he delights in you. I'm not changing my position. And the just shall live by faith. This is my position. You're guilty. Someone says, you're guilty. I repent. I don't want to offend anybody. If I don't see some part of the iniquity in me, God, change me. I'm not going to point back at someone else's guilt when they tell me that. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to just look at him and I'm going to say, I'm blameless. You see, you've exonerated me. This is, in fact, the fact of your life right now, no matter what your circumstance is saying to you. No matter what anybody else is saying to you, the fact of the matter is, at the cross, he finished everything. It's a done deal right now. You've already attained. My bill was already paid. I just didn't know it. Your bills, they're already paid. He's already covered it all. Let it catch up. And give worship and glory to the Lord this morning. Quit holding other people in liability. Let them go. Because if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Let, the, let it go. You've been forgiven. It's over with. Be free. That God's determination is your complete and utter freedom. Freedom to live, freedom to have life, freedom to have eternal life. Now, accept the truth of it and stand steadfast in the faith of the Lord that he has given you, that he has installed on you, his own faithfulness. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
This is the gospel that liberates and sets free. This is the gospel. That's why it was called the good news. It's the best news you'll ever hear. What I find from the Lord is in this way. This has been my own journey. All I had to do is put my hands out like this and receive. You can do this with me. It's okay to admit that I can't do it. I just received this morning. And tomorrow when I wake up, surely that you're going to keep me from falling and stepping out of order. Surely you will you will watch my steps. Surely you will take care of me. Surely tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Wednesday night and Thursday morning and Thursday night and Friday morning and Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night and next week when we come together again, surely you will keep me from stumbling. Surely you've got me, you got me, you got me, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I pledge my allegiance to you, Lord. And I receive your pardon this morning. I receive it because I agree with it, even though it's already been done for me, that even while I was a sinner, you died for me. I received, I received from that, and I'm not changing my position on that. And no matter what pressures are coming into my life, I hold myself before you like this, trusting in your faithfulness, Lord, and not my own. verse and this is what Christ has done for us our own completeness is now found in him we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us he is the head over every kingdom and the authority over the universe through our union with him we experienced circumcision of heart. All of our guilt and the power of sin has been cut away and now is extinct because what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. For we've been buried with him in his death. Our baptized into his death also means that we were raised with him when we believe in God's resurrection power and the power that raised him from death's realm this death this realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp but now but now We've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are, for we are forever alive and forgiven.
forgiven of all of our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. The old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased all our sin, our stained souls. He deleted it all. And they can never be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and, and nailed permanently. There was a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a profession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Thank you.
took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. took the cup and he said this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you do this in remembrance of me of what you do for us, Lord, but because you deserve all the glory and all the praise and all the honor just for being you. I magnify you, Lord, for you. I'm a 